In this episode of 2000 Books, Howard University psychologist Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar addresses the age-old questions that every ambitious person struggles with. Does a sense of satisfaction lead to complacency? In order to keep my ambitions alive, do I need to be constantly dissatisfied? Do I need to constantly treat myself harshly in order to drive myself even harder? Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar is a serial entrepreneur and is the co-founder and chief learning officer of the Whole Being Institute, Potential Life, Made TV, and Happier.TV. As a professor at Harvard, Dr. Shahar taught one of the largest courses at Harvard University, a course on positive psychology. He is the author of two international bestsellers, Happier and Being Happy. Today, we're talking about his book, Being Happy. And the subtitle of the book is, You Don't Have to Be Perfect to Lead a Richer, Happier Life. And the book was also published under the title of The Pursuit of Perfect. Tal, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about the complicated relationship between ambition, dissatisfaction, complacency, and leading richer lives. So, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited for this one because it speaks to my heart. And Tal, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book, tell our listeners, why does an ambitious person need to read this book? So, the book is about perfectionism. And uh, a lot of it comes from, uh, initially at least, the motivation was from my personal experience, being ambitious, being hardworking, doing well in specific areas, and yet being unhappy. And what I found out was that not only can I become happier if I have a better understanding of perfectionism, I can actually become more successful. So in a sense, it's uh, like uh, having the cake and leaving it whole. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the misperceptions that many ambitious have, uh, people have is that if they're too happy, that means they're not working hard enough. <laughs> well, they actually can go hand in hand, success and, and well-being. Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges a lot of our listeners struggle with and I personally have struggled with as well. So before we get into the book, tell us about, I think you were talking about your personal story uh, led you to writing this book. Maybe tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as we even get into the book. Sure. So, you know, from the time I remember myself, you know, I was uh, focused on success. As a kid, I wanted to be a, a professional athlete. I wanted to be the top student. I actually did play professional professional squash for a few years after getting injured. I ended up going to Harvard, focusing on psychology and philosophy and graduating and then teaching at Harvard and, you know, having the dream career in many ways, both uh, as an academic as well as as an athlete before, and yet never feeling satisfied, never never being happy. And and that led me to explore this area. It got me then to understand that what I was uh, struggling with, what was keeping me back and down was my perfectionism. Tal, you have a fascinating story, and I've followed your work for a while, so I'm, I'm quite aware. And I uh, think I want to, at this point, get into the book. And as an ambitious entrepreneur, I have so many questions about this whole idea. And as I read the book, as I listened to the book, uh, so many of those questions were getting answered. So I'd love for you to unpack those for our listeners as well. And one of the first challenges I had was that if I became satisfied if I 
allowed myself to feel satisfied with what I had accomplished so far. I mean, I'm a physicist, I'm an engineer, I'm an entrepreneur. There are so many things I could say I, I should be satisfied for. But no, I, I feel like I want to have the drive, that hunger that drives me, that motivates me to do great things. It's almost like without that hunger, I would probably not be able to do, uh, to fulfill my ambition. So talk to us about that. Talk to us as to <laughs> what's going on here. Yes, so you know one of the most interesting uh, studies that I that I talk about in the book was conducted by Professor Ellen Langer, who uh, who was my teacher at Harvard. And what she what she showed was was the following: that with every trait or characteristic that we try to change, there um, it is usually a lot more uh, complex and nuanced than we initially think. So. Let's take perfectionism as as an example. Now, is perfectionism bad? Uh, The answer is yes and no. So there are parts of perfectionism that that I really like. For example, uh, being a hard worker. You know, I like the fact that I'm a hard worker. Being um, responsible. You know, that's a good part of perfectionism. Being being ambitious, uh, wanting to succeed, wanting to produce something which is very high quality. You know, that's a very good part of perfectionism. But there, there's another side to perfectionism, which is less pleasant and also less helpful. For example, a very deep fear of failure. Well, that's not very good because it leads us to, to be afraid of trying. So that's not a good part of perfectionism. Another part of perfectionism, which is not great, is uh, never being satisfied with, uh, with what we achieve. That, that's not a good part. Now, the challenge is, and what ambitious people need to do, is, is learn to dissect perfectionism and understand these are the parts that I want to uh, let go of. And this way, we can have a more nuanced, uh, a more realistic understanding of, of perfectionism and more openness to change. Because if you tell an ambitious, successful person, give up your perfectionism, he's going to tell you, you know, forget it. I don't want to give it up. This is what got me to where I am today. And you know what? He's partially right, but only partially. So you need to understand what part got you to where you are and what part, not only is it hurting you in terms of your, your well-being, your happiness, it's also hindering you from fulfilling your potential to the max. So how do we do that? Like, what is the understanding I need to have when I constantly turn myself or beat myself up saying that until I accomplish all these goals, I can't be satisfied? Like, where is the line being drawn? Am I right in that thinking? Am I wrong in that thinking? Am I somewhere in the middle in that thinking? And what do I need to do to, you know, both be successful and be happy. Yeah. So before I even go into the answer, let, let me just clarify one thing. You know, people often ask me, Sutal, now after you know, 20 years in the field of positive psychology, the science of happiness, are you happy? Mm-hmm. And my answer to that is I actually don't know because I don't think there is a point before which we're unhappy after which we are happy. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not a binary zero, one, either, or. Rather, to them, certainly happier than I was 20 years ago. And at the same time, I hope to be happier uh, five years from now than I am today. In other words, it's a continuum rather than a binary, either or. It's an ongoing, lifelong journey. So the question is, can you be ambitious and entrepreneur, successful, and enjoy more happiness and become happier? And the answer is a very clear yes. And how do you do that? Um, The things that are stopping many successful people from being happy is the belief the false belief that in order to be successful, you need to be constantly dissatisfied. 
-hmm. Now, yeah, so, so it's possible to be satisfied with what you have accomplished and yet still be ambitious for more. No, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything right with celebrating successes. In fact, we see it in organizations. With the, we see it with individuals. That you, if you're able to celebrate success, you have a lot more energy for the next steps. So, you know, if I can now celebrate uh, having given a, a good lecture, for example, or having you know completed a chapter or a book, and you know, giving myself a pat on the back and appreciating what I've accomplished, I will have a lot more energy, a lot more strength to continue on that journey again because you know if i'm never satisfied after a while i can't fool myself anymore and you know this is what i did for many years i always told myself okay so i'm not happy now but once i accomplish this then i'll be happy you know once i win this championship in squat then i'll be happy or once i get into harvard or once i get this grade or once i get this job then i'll be happy you know and after a while i stopped believing myself so i was accomplishing many of the things that i set out to accomplish and time and again you know, the, the joy that I experienced was short-lived, was temporary. You know, it lasted for, for a day before the dissatisfaction came back. And then I just lost motivation and energy because I couldn't fool myself anymore. Whereas if you learn to appreciate your accomplishment, you're really ready to move on, to continue, you know, with zest and with fire. So is it possible to be hungry and satisfied at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great question. You know, Howard Gardner, who's... Uh, teaches education and leadership at Harvard Graduate School of Education, says that the, the greatest leaders are the ones who were able to simultaneously hold two seemingly contradictory ideas, mm -hmm. such as just what you mentioned, which is being satisfied and being hungry. So yes, it is possible to be satisfied and to say, you know, I'm so appreciative of what I have accomplished. And, you know, as, as Australians would say, good on you. <laughs> uh, at the same time, there is so much you have to, to accomplish, so many things to do. And then going back to, to a preacher and saying, you know, I, I have the tools to do it. You know, I've, I've done it before. I, I can do it again. And then, you know, set out on your way. So that's one thing. The, the other thing you know, that I found and, um, and you know, I, I didn't write about it in my book, but, you know, I would like to talk about it a little bit now. I didn't write about it because it's not as um, backed up by, by research as, as much of my other work. But as I've become older, I've, I realized that I've moved more away from extrinsic motivation and more towards intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. So whereas in, in the past, it was much about you know, I want to achieve this so um, when I was in high school, more girls will want me mm -hmm. when I was in high school or <laughs> later on, you know, uh, so that I can make more money and, and or be more famous, uh, you know, better known and, and so on. So it was a lot of, about it was about the extrinsic motivation, which, by the way, is important. You know, it's a very powerful motivator uh, for, for all of us because we are social, social beings. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, what I found over the years, and I think a lot of it can actually when I'm married and I have family and kids, my motivation has become a lot more intrinsic. And I think it's healthier because I'm a lot happier for it. So my motivation now is, you know, I do want to make a difference in the world. You know, I, I do want to help people. And, you know, if I get the credit for it, wonderful. If I don't, that's okay too. I want to feel like I'm doing something which is meaningful and important, again, mm -hmm. from the inside rather than validated from the outside. And when the motivation is intrinsic, it's a lot easier to be satisfied with what we do than when the motivation is extrinsic. Because when it's extrinsic, it's never ending. You know, mm -hmm. It's like a Sisyphean battle. You, know, you, you push the rock up the mountain and you struggle and you know, finally you get there, but then the rock rolls right back down and you're back to square one. <laughs> right. And I, I think you talk about it in the book, the difference between the Sisyphean battle and the the Odyssey, 
uh, That's of right. life. And yeah, so, and, and, and let, let me say a few more words about the odyssey of life because, you know, especially for an entrepreneur, there are many tough moments in life. I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, I actually just came back from a trip around a, a new venture that I have. And, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, there are so many failures along the way. Yeah. I've started and shut so many uh, ventures, and many of these failures were painful. And therefore, you know, I'm emphasizing again, it's important to also celebrate the small or big wins that, that come along the way. Yeah, and that's that's what you mean by life being an odyssey, where it's an adventure. And an adventure doesn't always mean that we win all the time. But at the same time, a Sisyphean battle <laughs> means that we never win. Never win, Exactly. You see this among the most successful entrepreneurs, uh, business people, uh, artists, as well as scientists, that the most successful ones are also the ones who have failed the most times. So they have uh, gone on the adventure, you know, they, they didn't shun adventure or risk, and therefore they also failed many times. However, they also uh, ultimately, or throughout the, the journey, also succeed. It's paradoxically true in many ways that the more we fail, the more we succeed. Yeah, well, you know, one of the mantras that I repeat to myself over and over again, as well as to my students and colleagues, it's learn to fail or fail to learn. <laughs> Unfortunately, you cannot succeed without failing. You cannot learn to draw without scribbling. You cannot learn to talk without you know, uttering gibberish. Wherever you see success, you can be certain there's a lot of failure uh, that preceded it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And as I think about the journey and the, the, I should be working hard all the time. Like there is no rest. There's no, I mean, even if there's rest, it's, it's few and far between just because of something at the back of mind is telling me that I need to go make something happen. I need to go <laughs> uh, do something rather than just sit down and relax and take it easy. It's a constant battle. Yeah. I have tons of things to say about that because it's such a huge issue for, once again, ambitious and successful people. Now, this is research done by another one of my teachers, Teresa Mabile. She teaches at Harvard Business School. She did research on businessmen and women looking at creativity. She's one of the uh, foremost researchers in the world on creativity and innovation. And what she found was a very interesting phenomenon. She found that people, when they're... Uh, under the gun, in other words, when they're, when they're under a lot of pressure, you know, when they're, when they're mm -hmm. feeling stressed, you know, just, just what you describe, you know, always, you know, more and more and more. They're actually less uh, creative than people who give themselves more, you know, more leeway, more time to reflect and to chill out. However, here is the interesting part of the study. The perception of those who are under the gun is that they're actually more creative. <laughs> in other words, they're less creative, but they think that when they're under the gun, when they're under a lot of pressure, they're more creative, which of course perpetuates the state of constant pressure and stress and being under the gun because mm -hmm. you believe that you're more creative. Well, actually, you're not. And the reason why you're not is because, and, and again, you can think about this, you don't need research from, from your own experience. When, when do you come up with your best ideas? You know, very often you come up with your best ideas when you're in, you know, in, the, in the shower just daydreaming or when you're just driving a car or hanging out or doing nothing. Or, you know, you just get up in the morning and you have a, a fresh idea. It's actually when we put our mind to rest, then the subconscious kicks in. And that's when the real creativity comes about. That's when the connections in the mind are made. Uh, but it's mostly in, on the subconscious level that the best ideas are generated. Mm -hmm. So it's when we actually uh, have less pressure that we are more innovative. So the parallel we can draw 
from that to our working lives, day-to-day working lives in some ways, be able to find rituals to actually take a break from our work? Is that is that the... Yeah, let me give you an analogy. So, you know, many people today bash stress. You know, stress is a bad thing. Uh, but if you think about it, if you really think about it, stress is actually not a bad thing. It's, uh, it's something that we can handle, you know, throughout our history. We always handled stress well. We're, we're built for handling stress. You know, so in the past, the stress was about running away from a, a lion. Today, it's about generating a new idea or, or handing in our quarterly reports. You know, we're good at dealing with stress. That's not the problem. The problem today is the following. Think about this analogy. You, know, you, you go to the gym and you lift weights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lift weights, you're stressing your muscles. Is this a bad thing? Not at all. It's actually a good thing. That's how you get stronger. Yep. That's how you, get, you, you become healthier. The problems in the gym begin if you lift weights and then more weights and then more weights and more weights without taking time off, without taking time for recovery. Right. That's when you get injured. That's when you get weaker rather than stronger. In other words, the problem in, uh, on the physical level is not the stress, which is potentially good for you. It's actually the lack of recovery. It's the exact same thing with psychological stress. The problem is not the stress itself. The problem is that we don't take enough time to recover. And today, because we're on all the time, because we're on the, you know, we're 24-7 connected, whether through the, you know, smartphone or computer or whatever gadget we have, because we're connected all the time, we don't have downtime to recover. And that's why we get injured or hurt or we're not at our best psychologically, not just physically. Yeah. So what the great entrepreneurs do what the great business people do, and I see it time and time and again, they work very hard. They're very ambitious. They are stressed at times, just like we all are. And at the same time, they also take time for recovery. You know, so many of my, my role models, either you know, leaders, managers I consult for or ones that I worked for in the past, were extremely hard workers. And yet when they were off, they were off. They knew how to have a good time. And they didn't feel guilty about having a good time. Because they understood, whether consciously or subconsciously, explicitly or implicitly, they understood that taking time off serves them on many levels. A, they're enjoying themselves. As a result, more productive, more creative. Yep. I think when you draw the analogy with me working out in the gym 24-7, I can see the distinction there because then I would really not be not be able to recover and probably... Get uh, injured. Yeah, probably be injured and sick. We talked about the idea of not being able to take satisfaction. But in the same, I guess we talked about holding the paradox of hunger and satisfaction at the same time. We talked about working hard all the time and some of the challenges that are there with her. Another thing that I found myself struggle with is being really harsh towards myself. And I think that also ends up meaning that I'm harsh towards those I love because I'm not forgiving. And I feel like I am forgiving a lot, but at the same time, there is a limit to what I am able to. So is compassion is one of the challenges that I struggle with, I guess, towards myself. Mm. You know, when, um, when, when the Dalai Lama first came to the West, uh, one of the things that he was most surprised by, that there was so little self-compassion. You really couldn't understand it because the word in Tibetan for compassion is tsewa. And that word in Tibetan has a double meaning. It's about compassion for self and for others. So it's automatic, inherent in that term, that you have compassion for yourself. It's obvious, uh, because you cannot have compassion for others if you don't have compassion for yourself. Now, more and more research now 
following on uh, the Dalai Lama's insight, for, whereby, for example, Dr. Uh, Christine Neff, mm -hmm. showing that actually self-compassion is no less important, at times more important than self-esteem. You know, we talk so much about the importance of self-esteem and self-confidence. Well, it turns out to be the pillar of a healthy sense of self, self-esteem and self-confidence, is actually self-compassion. It's being more forgiving towards ourselves. I often think about it, what would you be, you know, if, if your friend came to you and said, you know, I just tried this and it didn't work, um, what would you tell your best friend? You would tell him, you know, that's okay, you try again, come yep. on, you can yep. do it. Yep. And yet, when it comes to ourselves, we're so much harsher when it comes to failure. And mm -hmm. we're not doing ourselves a justice and we're not doing ourselves a favor in terms of our success and happiness in the short term and the long term. Yeah. Uh, so being more forgiving, self-compassion is a key component of, of well-being. It, it's, it almost ties back to the first thing that we were talking about, the idea that if I let up on myself, then who's going to drive me? <laughs> So the question is, if you let up on yourself, what is the motivation that is left? This is the important question to ask. Mm -hmm. Is there still motivation? What is the motivation? And, and if you sit down and, and, and you write about it and you ask, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, why do I want to succeed? And you actually write it down and you remind yourself on a regular basis. Every morning when I get up, I have a few sentences that I reach myself. And these are sentences, for example, that what I'm about is making the world a better place through education. Mm. That's what I'm about. Every morning I remind myself. And, you know, not every day is easy. Not every day it's easy to sit in front of my computer or go out and teach. And yet by, by reminding myself what I'm about, it provides me a positive form of motivation mm -hmm. as opposed to a negative form of motivation. You know, a negative form of motivation would be, what well, I want to get rid of this satisfaction. A positive form of motivation is something that's very important for me to achieve, something very important for me to do. And it's not just a semantic difference between these two forms of motivation. It actually affects the way we function, the way we feel, and ultimately the way we perform. Uh, I think uh, it's a very powerful way to be able to look at it from the perspective of your inner self rather than from the perspective of just an extrinsic reason for doing something. Yeah, you know, one of the exercises that I do often and which I also teach is the following. It's a thought experiment, so here it goes. Uh, imagine that a spell of anonymity has been cast on you. Mm. From now on and for the rest of your life, no one will know what you do. No one will know about all your inventions. No one will know how rich or successful you are. And no one will know how many people you've helped and how you've changed the world. No one but you alone will know what you do. Mm. In such a world where you're anonymous, what would you do? Wow. Now, this is a, a tough question. You know, some people say, you know, I would, I would do exactly the same thing. Some people would say, you know, a radically different life. But it's important to ask this question, not because it means that this is what you should be doing, but mm. simply because it raises your levels of awareness about what it is that truly is important for you, intrinsically speaking. And when you identify it, it can help you a great deal in motivating yourself intrinsically. Wow, this is a profound question. I'm going to go back and think about it after the interview because it's really got me thinking already as we, as we, as we talk. Um, and I think one of the things you talk about in the book in the overall scheme of things is the motivation by itself, like compassion towards ourselves, that having that clarity and having that understanding of how we see ourselves and see this world. And it's, it's the challenge of accepting this humanity of myself, accepting these emotions as they come up rather than fighting them. 
know, one of the pillars of a happy life is acceptance. So when I first taught my class on happiness, I remember one of the students came to me as I was having lunch and asked me to join. He wasn't my student. He knew me from, he was a squash player. And, you know, he came to me and said, "Uh, you know, Tal, I hear you're teaching a class on happiness. And I said, yeah, positive psychology. And he said, "Uh, two of my roommates are taking your class. And I said, you know, that's great. And then he said to me, but, you know, Tal, now you've got to watch out. And I said to him, what? And he said, Tal, you've got to be careful. And I said, why? And he said, because if I see you unhappy, <laughs> I'll tell my roommates. Uh, and, and, you know, I actually used this in class the following day. And I, I told my, my students, and I said to him, you know, the last thing in the world I want you to think is that I'm always happy. Uh, the last thing I want you to believe is that you, by the end of this class, will always be happy. You know, there are only two kinds of people who do not experience painful emotions like disappointment or sadness or embarrassment or anxiety or anger. There are two kinds of people who do not experience these emotions. The first type are the psychopaths. <laughs> the, the second type are dead people. So, you know, if we experience these emotions, you know, it, it's actually a good sign. We're not psychopaths and we're, and we're alive. And it's very important as to accept that because if we don't accept our painful emotions, they only intensify. Mm. So full acceptance is about accepting the fact that we're human, hence imperfect. Yeah. Hence uh, we make mistakes, hence we fall down, hence we, you know, we laugh and we cry and we're uh, sad and, and happy. And the more we can be open and accepting uh, of these emotions, the happier we'll be. Yeah. Giving ourselves the permission to be imperfect, to be human, yeah. to fail, to fall on our face and still know that we'll be okay. Yes. You know, j- just imagine, you know, I, I often do it as a meditation exercise in class and I, and I ask my students to imagine getting up in the morning without the burden of having to prove ourselves, without the burden of having to be perfect or to look good in other people's eyes or to be so successful and get rid of that burden and instead bring a sense of wonderment, you know, of excitement, of curiosity, of the desire to do things. Again, this is positive motivation as opposed to negative motivation. Mm. You know, positive motivation is searching for something, wanting to do things, You know, that's so important for an entrepreneur. But unfortunately, so many entrepreneurs are driven by by the negative motivation of uh, let me get rid of this nagging dissatisfaction or let me seem like I'm not a failure in other people's eyes. And that's a heavy burden to carry. Unnecessary, too, for success. Unnecessary. As as we get get to close this interview, Tal, before we do that, I want uh, to give our listeners some really actionable pieces of advice i think we've you've done that throughout you've asked very you've asked us to do some of these meditations and i'll make sure we get those in the notes um are there any other actions uh, specific actions that our listeners our ambitious entrepreneurs can take uh, as they go through their lives sure so um you know one of the most powerful exercises in the field of positive psychology is the gratitude exercise. Mm. Just just try it out every night before going to bed. Uh, think about five things or three things or six things that you're grateful for. There could be big things or little things you can write about, a thought that you had during the day, a, a nice meal that you had, or a conversation with a friend. You know, something small or something big, they can repeat themselves you know, day in and day out. Try it every night before going to bed, just for two minutes write them down or even visualize the things for which you're grateful. This will help you be more appreciative of, of your life. You know, my, my favorite word in English is the word appreciate. It has two meanings. The first meaning of the word is to say thank you for something. 
Mm-hmm. The second meaning of the word appreciate is to grow in value. And the two meanings of the word appreciate are connected. Mm-hmm. Because when you appreciate the good in your life, the good appreciates. You have more of it. Mm-hmm. So this exercise is about appreciation. Another fantastic exercise is just meditation. You know, being in the moment, in the here and now. Because for entrepreneurs, you know, so often we're in the future thinking about what we can invent. And that's important. Uh, at the same time, we mustn't lose our ability to, to be present. So that's uh, the, the second thing. And, and finally, the, the, the third thing. You know, uh, entrepreneurs and very ambitious people very often forget to take care of themselves, even in the, in, in the simplest ways, to, to take time for recovery. So I would, I would urge you, for example, to exercise regularly. You know, we're, we're a lot more creative uh, if we exercise on a regular basis. Our, our brain is actually physically more plastic, more, more, more flexible. In other words, better able to make connections and come up with new ideas. Uh, so exercise, you know, at least three times a week. Also take care of yourselves in terms of sleep. You know, sleep is underrated among uh, ambitious people, which is unfortunate because you can be more creative, more productive, not to mention happier and healthier if you do sleep seven yeah. hours, eight hours a night. It's not a waste of time. It's a very good investment. Well, this is great. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, really enjoyed uh, going deep into my own psyche to, ex- to explore how I can do better with what I am, where I am in my life. So I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for this great conversation today. Well, thank you. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, and do tell our listeners how to get hold of you, find the book and all the good stuff. The best place would be my website, which is uh, com. Got it. Well, thank you, Tal. Thank you. So, my ambitious friends, I have a very important question for you. What is the single biggest indicator and predictor of success? Because in my reading of over 1,000 books, I have found out that there is one common thread, one common indicator that ties all of the greatest success stories in this world. And this is a factor that has been emphasized again and again and again in the greatest books ever written on the topic of accomplishing our goals. The greatest thinkers and achievers have all said the same thing. From Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher 2,000 years ago, to the greatest UFC fighters of today. And from champion athletes like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan, to big-time entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. So here at 2000 Books, we have created a 90-day course specifically on this topic, where we summarize 40 of the greatest books ever written on this topic. So reading these books, reading these 40 books can take you almost 250 plus hours. And if you read one hour every day, Monday through Friday, every week, this reading can take you an year. But what we have done is we have summarized the knowledge from these books into daily five to 10 minute bite-sized videos so that you can absorb a new idea or a couple of new ideas every single day and take action on them, take action on them. And Build them over time over a period of 90 days. So come check out this course at 2000books.com slash tough. That's T-O-U-G-H, tough. Or text the word tough, T-O-U-G-H, to 44222 and get more information on this course. The course is now live and you can join at any time. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the course.